0: Constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg.
1: Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host. And Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag BigBeacon, where Emma Schoenfellner is standing by to to tweet back at you. So our first segment is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And we're blessed to be joined by a an innovator in in uh, education and higher education and the 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 growing movement towards uh, coding academies. Uh, John Qualls, welcome to the show, John. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you, David. That's great. Yeah, it's great to great to have you. And and very excited. Uh, the coding academies are a really uh, growing segment, and we'll we'll jump into those in a minute. But we like to get to know our guests. And uh, you're a self-proclaimed uh, graduate of the School of Hard Knocks. You're a serial entrepreneur. You're CEO of an important nonprofit reshaping the landscape of coding academies, but let's go back in the time machine. What were some of the early influences that put you on your current path? Yeah,
2: I'd say for uh, for me personally, uh, you know, when I go back and look at my uh, kind of high school years, I was on uh, probably the wrong path uh, with the wrong individuals making the wrong kind of decisions. And there was a couple of uh, key uh, moments, I think, that really kind of put me on that right path. And one was uh, I had a great uh, a football coach said success is a byproduct of doing the right thing. And, uh, boy, that has just resonated with me uh, throughout my entire career uh, about that. Uh, and that really forced me to reevaluate where I was. I kind of called it a crisis of character. And, and I decided that I, uh, I didn't see anything in my future in high school. I think I had a, a 1.95 uh, GPA uh, with straight Fs. Uh, uh, looking going forward. So that maybe really yeah. changed my my path. And uh, and I kind of joined the Marine Corps, and that really uh, gave me a framework of execution uh, that really made a big difference for where I was going.
1: Yeah, so that's so interesting. And, and uh, you know, so, you, you know, as you might imagine, uh, you know, we get a lot of times we get people with uh, degrees galore and have kind of found success through traditional educational paths. And, and so your story is a particularly interesting one because you you are an innovator in education and yet uh education early educational experiences uh for you didn't serve you i I don't want to embarrass you but what you know you said you were on the the wrong path what was the you know you and that the right path led through the marine corps and execution and and a lot of what the the good stuff that the marine corps is known for but what was what was it that was it what was high school not offering or what were you doing that got you off the track or if if you don't mind talking about it
2: no no fine um, you know what's the expression you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with yeah and i'd say in in, in high school i wasn't uh, spending the time with uh, probably the right people and doing the right things and it really was uh, just kind of getting involved with football and and having a coach uh, believe in you and yeah. kind of hold you accountable to things uh, that kind of got me going there and, uh, you know, it's not. The, I think the other side is I was pretty, pretty bored. I really wasn't challenged. Uh, I wasn't engaged, and, and even when I was engaged, I really wasn't, wasn't challenged. And so by joining the Marine Corps, and, and it's kind of, to me, it's amazing. I, I went to the Marine Corps, and one of the first things I was involved with was training. And here I am back in training and education. Uh, but to me, it was this real emphasis. Uh, you know, the reason that I kind of, we talk a little bit later about boot camps uh, but you know the military; they only have a certain amount of time to get you through boot camp and to get you relevant, uh, because you're you're kind of gone in four years. So yep. they don't have time to uh, to kind of kid around and and, uh, and wait for you to, to grow up in those four years. You you got You got to make it happen right now. And uh, and that was the kind of the kick in the butt that I really needed uh, to apply myself. And then they they kind of gave this uh, you know lifelong training uh, mentality. Uh, they get, they run you through the boot camp and then they really. Uh, always, always training, always learning, and that was uh, that was really important uh, and instrumental for me in that time of my life. I think the the other thing around there is uh, the military also established some uh, some values, and I, I think a lot of times uh, you know we overlook that. But establishing some values around ethics and leadership, and and how you carry yourself and how you interact with others, is some soft skills that uh, that we don't uh, really address uh, a lot of times in education.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting to hear hear you uh, talk about this. And, and uh, I I uh, I went through boot camp, and I I think of it as a as a in, in the Coast Guard, not not the Marine Corps, but in the Coast Guard. And I view it the uh, the discipline and the uh, obedience, and but yet but also for, to a higher mission to something important as as something that's still important to me today.
2: I'm glad you say that, because we're going to talk a lot about this, because I'm very passionate about this piece, is this sense of purpose is what it gave you. You, you kind of, you, you found something, you found something that, that you know, gave you purpose, you, you knew what your role was in it, and then, you know, the, more, the better you did, the, 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 the more you rewarded for that purpose piece. And, and I think um, purpose is something that's really kind of lost its way a little bit. Um, you know, everyone... You know, it, there's another, I can't think of the phrase right now, but it's, it's disenfranchised youth. Yes. Um, and, and I think a big part of that is they're just, they don't know what their purpose is. Uh, and, and I know there's a little bit later on we'll talk about what are the, some of the things that are preventing them from finding their purpose around uh, the failure in social media and things like that. But I, I just, really, it's that purpose piece. And A lot of folks, I think, who go into the military, it's the first time that they really got a taste of purpose and being part of something bigger than themselves.
1: Yeah, nice. And then so we also on the show, we also, and maybe we've already talked about it for you, but on the show, we also, I like to ask about unleashing experiences. And so you're, um, you know, a a lot of times on the show, we'll have people on who have kind of gone their own way and done, done cool things, started companies, uh, their CEOs are very successful. And yet somewhere along the way there, and, and, and you talked about your coach, you talked about the Marine Corps and somewhere along the way there were experiences or people who trusted them that allowed them to then do something unusual or extraordinary or against the grain took some courage to do that and and we in in the book Mark Somerville and I call those unleashing experiences and I'm curious if the things that we've already talked about were unleashing for you or are there other what other experiences or people in your life have allowed you to go your own way in the interesting way that w- ways that you have.
2: No, I, I think some of those, yes, uh, but I think there's some others. Uh, I think when I, I, uh, I I want to say it was about a year ago, this kind of shows you uh, sometimes how I'm not thinking. Uh, I realized that every organization I've been a part of, I've been a part of the first uh, six folks, you know, kind of after I came out of the military. Yep. Uh, I don't know how I just wound up at these early stage companies and, and, and part of them for their growth over about three years or so, Maybe I just kind of got it in my, in my blood. Um, but I was always part of some early stage uh, companies, but I'd never kind of done one uh, where I owned it, right? It was kind of my, my thing from the beginning. Yes. And there, there was a time where, uh, you know, I, I was at an organization that we were getting ready to sell it, and I wanted to go do my own thing. And I was just trying to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to raise the money and do all this? And I'd like to tell this story of, whoa, where I, you know, 30 no's and, and all these things, but the reality is I, I kind of went to a, a basketball game. I was sitting next to uh, an owner of, of a company that we served, and I kind of told him my idea and what I was looking to do, and he said, well, it sounds like a great idea. I'd love to fund it, and, and there was that, right? That, that was the whole thing, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm very appreciative of that, uh, but I also think that that happens, uh, I think, to a lot of individuals who have um, shown a, a history of, of execution, and then those little bluebirds uh really aren't bluebirds those are there's a long time earned things over time but uh that was an example of of, of a time where just someone uh, believed in me and what i could do and and I really feel that uh now that I'm trying to give back uh to the tech community is finding individuals and and making sure that uh you know that I believe in them right or that we believe in them. It's uh, interesting. Someone asked me, what, what do you guys do first when you bring them in? I said, well, the first thing we do is give them confidence uh, because there's just such a lack of belief. Uh, people can do the work, but they don't believe it. And uh, So putting confidence in the people uh, and believing in them, I think, is, the, is really important. And A lot of people have believed in me, and I owe it uh, to give it back.
1: Oh, and that's so interesting to hear you articulate it so clearly like that. And and I actually i am, I'm curious when, so this, you're talking about, and we'll, and we'll talk more about, um, uh, the coding Academy, but I want to stick on this point of giving them confidence when, when, when the new kids come in, how, how do you do that? What do you, what do you, um, what do you do that gives them confidence or how does it, how do you, how does that manifest itself? What do you do?
2: Yeah, I have to give a lot to my team, my, my, uh, the director of learning and, uh, in those early, uh, well, we did, we've broken it down into different stages, but the first stage is really setting the expectations in that first week about what they're going to go through. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when you just tell people, listen, you're going to be in, uh, I think we call it the desert of despair. Um, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to do these things. Uh, you know, we kind of create this rule. You, you can't get out unless you quit three times. Um, so it's, it's, Lots of things about just setting the expectations, letting them know this is going to be hard, letting them know, and actually executing that we're going to do everything we can to help you be successful, while giving you very candid feedback uh, for the right reasons about making you successful, not about yep. beating you down. Uh, nice. You know, it's one of the the groups on the the team is part of a um, a girls swim team here in uh, in Indiana, and this, yes. this particular swim team has won thirty state championships in a row. Right. Uh, But he brings a lot of that uh, flavor uh, to the table, right, to the experience.
1: Yeah, so what I'm hearing, I'm hearing a couple of things in there. So I'm hearing you're, so you're not sugarcoating this. The experience is not easy. This is going to be hard, and it's going to challenge you. And, and you're, but you're also saying to them at the beginning, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. You're going to want to quit, but you can do this. And, and, um, and you and you're so you're saying that, that that entering into it, you've set the expect you've set the bar high, um, but also that um, you've set the belief high too, is what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah, yeah, the belief high, and we also try to take students who've been through the program and bring them back in the first week, um, so that they have someone is like, oh, okay, uh, here's someone who's been in my shoes, and then they can, uh, you know, kind of sympathize with where they are, right, and help them coach through that. And you know, I felt that way too. Uh, it also creates a really nice uh, give-back circle uh, because a lot of times they come back and say, well, we like this, and we're like, absolutely. And they're like, wow, I didn't didn't realize it. And they don't even realize how far they are along, uh, you know, nine to 12 weeks later until they actually see that group coming in from the beginning. Uh, I think the other thing I want to add is uh, just kind of like the military is, um, you know, there's the hard skills uh, part of it, but that soft skills and, and, you know, bringing back those values uh, and we, we we reinforce everything through our curriculum, and, uh, but also the values, right? You know, one of them is ethic, being genuine and authentic, right? So it's really important to us. Lifelong learner, quality, um, you know, all those things get reinforced throughout the curriculum. Yeah, and, and I think that helps create the right um, ecosystem and and um, experience uh, that they're looking that people are looking for as part of finding their purpose.
1: Nice, and and you know, on the show, and we've already talked a little bit about. That um, that high school wasn't the greatest experience. The Marine Corps sort of set you um, straight. Um, what? Um, how important you know is you know, and I just was hearing in some of what you were saying the importance of your um, you're having overcome educational obstacles to to your current role how, how important has that been what how does your and how does how does your your own experience with education um, good good bad you know good the bad and the ugly uh, shape how you think about the educational experience that uh, you're trying to give to young people today
2: yeah so as uh, also part of our, our piece is we wanted to create an awareness there's there's this tremendous um, I feel gap in the K through 12 of really even understanding that this is is a career path that they might pursue. So we actually went into 25 communities, uh, um, over 20,000 kids this year. And that really got us uh, involved with uh, the parents and the teachers and the superintendents and the economic development, the mayors and all the folks from all these different uh, communities. Um, And really, that's where we started uncovering this belief uh, gap. Uh, You know, we have just Tremendous stories of, of, you know, where uh, kids have been inspired, but, you know, I, I hear kids say, well, I'm not as dumb as my dad says I am. Uh, you know, we have to kind of argue with teachers. Uh, our kids aren't ready yet or smart enough to do this. Um, you know, those are things that really kind of reinforce what we're doing. I think for me in my, path, uh, in my, in my past, I did have a period of time where I went to a, a parochial school, and... Um, and then I actually, uh, you know, later on in life, I actually was on a the on on advisory board for a parochial school, yep. and and really seeing, you know, they do so much with so little. And I've always figured out, now, uh, trying to figure out, well, why why is that? What is it that they're doing different? I think part of it is the values, but I think another part is the, is that uh, parent engagement uh, piece, and and you know, we're we're trying to find more ways. Uh, we have more success when their loved ones and their, and their uh, folks are involved in our program early on to understand what we're trying to do uh, for the student, um, that that really helps. So that's kind of where I've kind of gone back to our path, past and seen some things and then try to bring those into our program uh, around those values and their, their engagement, right? Because we don't want the student to also feel like they're alone, right? They want to feel like they have a support group around them because it's, it is not, not easy.
1: Yeah. And actually, this the point to I'll just make a side comment, the point you're making about not having people doing a lot with a little. I think some of it is just the the very fact of having a little. if you have if you have too many resources, then there's no motivation to be um, be particularly entrepreneurial um, and and do stuff. Um, Um, to stretch or do things, you're too comfortable and you do, you do what others expect you to do. But if you don't have enough, then you have to be, you're from the get-go, you almost have to be creative um, when you, when you don't have a lot. And uh, it seems to me that the, we had uh, Peter Sims on the show not long ago, the author of Little Bets, that entrepreneurs are often, as creative as they are, because they don't have so much, they have to do, they have to do a lot with a little. And it seems to me that not having a lot, when people complain to me about not having the resources to make educational change, I just want to, actually just want to smack them a little bit and say, no, you, you've actually got plenty. You're just not thinking very creatively about the resources you've got.
2: Comment? Yeah, it, it, it's all right there. I mean, you just gotta say, all right, well, okay, we don't have the money, uh, then, then, what what is it that we're really missing? A lot of times, it's not the money that's missing; it's the know-how yeah. or the uh, the curriculum. And then you just have to be creative. And, and what I've tried to do, and I think I've done this throughout my whole career, is uh, is fostering uh, partnerships. I'm very passionate about uh, partnerships, but finding individuals who have a vested interest in the outcome and working with them to bring uh, bring something to the table to help solve the problem. I think an example would be where, where do we get our curriculum, right? Um, you know, we write that curriculum, but we go to industry and we, we find people who are passionate uh, about it and, and we bring them to the table. And, and they bring so much uh, of the relevancy uh, to the table, more than we could ever think of, uh, you know, sitting in a room trying to make it up on a whiteboard, right? Uh, uh, that's really, really important. Is you just got to solve the problem, uh, create, you know, an innovative approach.
1: Of course, yes. And, and of course, you know, networking is is, is also a... Uh... Successful entrepreneurs are, are known for partnering with people they can and, and, would, and would like to, and so, and so to hear you say that is, is validating. So, and we've been talking around it, So let me, uh, your CEO, we met on LinkedIn in connection with your role as uh, CEO of, uh, a, of a nonprofit coding academy called uh, 1150.org. And so what is 1150 and what inspired its, uh, its creation? Why, why was it created?
2: Yeah, so 1150 Academy, uh, got started, uh, actually, uh, probably January of last year. And there's actually, uh, another entrepreneur, uh, Scott Johns, uh, I'm sorry, Scott Jones, uh, that you might have heard of. I mean, he, he's, he kind of helped invent voicemail, and I think he's done 30. Yeah,
1: pretty well known guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, pretty well known guy. Well, he had an organization, Cha Cha, <laughs> and, uh, and they were, were working through this transition from texting to the smartphone and they were looking for talent to help on that smartphone. And they went for six months, and I think they went through 90 different interviews. And at the, uh, and at the end, it was kind of like, do you have an iPhone and do you know how to use it? Uh, but they just couldn't find any, any talent. And so it really, I think, was uh, uh, part of the, the challenge of, of Cha-Cha really not taking off is not having the talent to move uh, with the needs of that shifting market. So he said, well, now I'm going to try to figure out a way to, to solve this talent problem. Uh, you know, and, and he kind of looked on the coast and there's a lot of these coding boot camps that were popping up and he didn't see anything in the, in the Midwest. And so he decided he was going to start one, uh, himself. And then, uh, that's kind of when I, uh, I kind of got involved. I, I was just kind of wrapping up with one organization. I was looking to, actually, I think I had my wife convinced that we were going to walk the Appalachian Trail for about six months. And then, uh, I had lunch with, with Scott and, I don't know what happened. 36 hours later, I was uh, the CEO of this group, and I haven't looked back. I've been having a lot of fun ever since.
1: It sounds like it, and your enthusiasm is uh, catching. Why don't we uh, – I, I, we need to hear more about 1150, and, and, and uh, you have some interesting ideas about some of the gaps um, in industry and education and so forth, and I want to explore those with you because it seems to me that they – they set the stage for a lot of what you're doing at 11, 1150. How does that sound when we come back from our break?
2: That sounds great.
1: All right. So this is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, John Qualls of 1150.org. Stay tuned. with Stay tuned. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about some of the gaps in education, employment, human resources, uh, and elsewhere that help drive um, what's being done at 1150.org. Mm-hmm.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645, contact him at deg at 3joy.com, or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show.
1: And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. The second segment is sponsored by Three Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your organization and educational institution uh, and uh, just a reminder you can ask our guest questions or make comments about the show at hashtag big beacon on Twitter and so uh, we're back with John Qualls, uh, CEO of 1150 we're um, uh, 1150s uh, uh, about a body year old uh, coding Academy in the in the Midwest uh, and it's a nonprofit and um, John, one of the things in our first conversation uh, before the show, um, I, I thought you had a really interesting take on, on this leaky pipeline from, from high school to college uh, to the workforce. Uh, kids go in one, and, and part of your story is you know, part, of, part of that story. So we lose a lot of kids along, along the way. How, how bad is it?
2: Yeah, so as, as any good entrepreneur, I was trying to understand the real problem that we were trying to solve. And so I really kind of try to sit down and try to get to the data. And as I started to put together the data, I, I literally, I, I couldn't believe it. I had to keep, you know, bringing some other folks in and saying, well, wait a minute, is this right? This, this, this isn't adding up for me. And, and kind of that data, if I could share some of that with you, was, Please. you know, I was kind of looking at this, uh, um educational train, right? This, uh, 18 to 20 year process that we have in our society. And I says, well, let me just start with, a hundred high school graduates uh, right so hundred percent would be a hundred high school graduates and, and I know just here in Indiana and I think this is the same wherever you, here you look uh, around the country but in Indiana of a hundred high school graduates 35 of them will not go to college so I kind of think of those 35 I'll put them in a room and I know that half of them won't finish college So, okay so, so that's another 32 and a half folks I'll put those in a room and those that do finish college 15 percent of them will not get a job in the first year so I'll toss them in the room. And then kind of what's left of those that do get a job, uh, half of them will get a job that has nothing to do with the degree that they just spent the four years getting. Now, trust me on the numbers here, but does that mean that we're only 13% effective in taking a high school graduate and actualizing them through that approach um, or 87% failure? And and I've done the math, right? So that's what it is. it is. It's like as a society we've created this this educational train and while you're on it uh, there's all kinds of enabling things right to take on debt and do all these other things but the moment you fall off the train oh, well now that's a workforce problem and and all those things those opportunities kind of dry up and so that's what that's what we were looking at was well wow, how do we serve those who are on a different path uh, i was an individual on a different path uh, but what is what is that different path to actualization for the 87 percent that the that, that particular educational train just didn't serve right does that make sense
1: no it doesn't well it does make sense and it was pretty startling when you you look at it that way and there'll be of course I think some of my colleagues will quibble about some of the numbers but in in broad outline I I, th- I think your numbers are in in the ballpark of what's of what's going on and so um, of course then the, sometimes the conventional answer is well and and say relative to other countries um uh you know america's actually not a not a bad place to fall off the train because we think of the country as a as a country of second chances so and things like um things like community colleges uh the military is is an example of a place where people get get a second chance if somehow the the, the traditional pipeline or the train didn't work for for them so um you know, in what ways? Uh, you know, so you know, traditionally, community college, military, maybe other, other kinds of trade schools have um, have picked those up who've fallen through the cracks. Is that, uh, uh, is that working? Uh, your comments.
2: I, I think some are. But uh, one thing I do want to want to note is, in in no way am I ever uh, you know bashing higher ed or anything else. Or, or it's really about the individual's journey and w- and their path to actualization. You know, my son's going to to IU. That was the the path he wanted to take. Um, so I just want to be really clear on that, right? We're not—I'm not an anti-higher ed, uh, you know. Stance there, it's just accountability is where I'm trying to get to. Uh, well, no, and let me—I
1: I, want to—I yeah. want to say something about that. I—I I am a little anti-higher ed because I've, I've got two sons that have gone through and gotten traditional educations and and not been particularly well served um, in terms of employment on the other end. They didn't go into—they didn't go into their old man's uh, Business, they didn't go into engineering or computer science, and both of them have struggled, and both of them have gotten pretty, um, pretty paltry help from from the universities that we paid good money to. So I, I, I think there is, I think there is a huge accountability problem, and they're, they're, you know, in in some ways, my own sons are in that room off to the side at the end of the pipeline, and I think there are a lot of kids that are, even if uh, as you, see, you know, a lot of kids that are serving as baristas. But they have uh, pretty high degrees from highfalutin places. So I, 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 I appreciate your being politic about it. But in part, the show is about that uh, some of the need for the kind of transformation that will get gets higher the traditional higher ed to even pay attention to these problems. I, I, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm. You're trying to be nice about it. I'm, I'm saying that maybe we shouldn't be so nice about it.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm writing those checks too, and I got three kids and. And uh three times uh ninety thousand is a big number.
1: It's a big uh, well, number.
2: I can think of a lot of things I could do uh do with that. I could start a few companies with that that kind of money. But uh yeah, so I, I think we were talking about um community colleges and the military and uh you know the military was a tremendous enabler for me. Yes. Um I was actually just looking over the last uh, couple months on the, the 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 what percentage of Americans know someone who served in the military. And it, that number used to be, you know, twenty percent, and now it's it's one percent. Uh, so the, um, you know, I think we're losing some of that a little bit. I think the respect for veterans are high, but uh, seeing the military as a um, as an option and 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 an actual actualizer for individuals is significantly less than it's ever been before. Um, on the community colleges, and I and I, I see a, a wide range. Uh, of those, you know, some being uh, effective. But the, you know, unfortunately, the, the part I also see is a lot of them are um, open enrollment and they're using uh, education as a welfare. Uh, you know, I, I, I probably know a dozen people I, I kind of know who, uh, who are going to community college for that substance piece, right, to help offset their income, uh, and really not really even seen an intent. To leverage the education to be actualized, and that's uh, that's very disappointing. I think the other area um this has gotten a lot of um, air w- here in the, in Indiana around the account accountability to community college results um, you know uh, we're trying to work with some of those to to make that better, but you know when you have the largest community college uh, kind of in the country with um, graduation rates you know under ten percent. Uh, something's just not adding up there, and it needs to be addressed and changed.
1: Well, and some of it, you know, some of it is about the the shape of what's provided. So the the um, the whole the idea of you know you get a high school diploma, you get a college degree. There is this sense of the um, the snippet or the building block that constitutes success has been this fairly large chunk of stuff. That has been fairly general in nature, um, tied to sort of overall skills as a human being, um, not necessarily um, uh, vocationally focused. Um, but you know, so in what ways, you know, so um, so so clearly, there's something not not working here. And what other in what what other things are working or not working from your point of view? Yeah, I think
2: it really kind of comes down to uh, two things, uh, primarily. Um, there, there's the pace of the market, right, and how where things are going. And, and I believe there's a lot of jobs, right, that's probably more important about can you do the work and less of whether or not you have a degree. Yeah. You know, I asked the CIO, I said, do you want a 19-year-old with 21 apps in the app store, or do you want a college graduate? Uh, if you had to pick one, which one would you take? I'll, I'll take the one with the apps in the app store. I said, well, well, why is that? They said, because I know they can do the work. The other one, uh, I'm going to have to make an investment a lot of time. is whether or not they know how to work. Uh, they know how to do homework, but do they know how to do work and actually get things done? And so I said, okay, well, why don't you hire more of those, those the first group? Well, the HR department's never going to let me see that person because, you know, they've come up with some formula. Uh, the joke I always tell is, uh, iOS is the, the software for yes. the Apple phone, right? Right. And they say, well, you know, they put out a thing out there, a job rec, for someone with six years experience in iOS Swift, uh, and it's only been around for two years. So this disconnect between, you know, HR and what talent is out there. Uh, but it comes down to relevancy, to me, relevancy and velocity, uh, relevancy of the curriculum. I mean, things are moving so fast. I mean, we, we review our curriculum every two months, and it's almost a rewrite every 11 months. I see in higher ed... It's a review every three years, every three to eleven years. I mean, can you imagine if, if I said, hey, come in here, let me teach you how to write for the iPhone from three years ago? That isn't going to help you. So, so that relevancy piece, and I, and I, I see all the higher ed trying to find a way to get more engaged with the, with the employer. And then the other one is, is the velocity, and that some people are, are, are on a different velocity. The, the, the market needs them faster that you know, high demand. Uh, you know, we've we talked about the skills gap between now and 2020. Uh, and There's going to be a, a million, million jobs that higher ed is not going to be able to fill. Well, I know that higher ed is going to have four freshman classes between now and 2020. Um, so so no one's even thinking, and I, I think you're going to see these boot camps are thinking, it. how can I create uh, 24 classes between now and then, right? How can I meet the velocity needs of the market demand? and not the way we've been doing it for decades or a hundred years about saying, okay, well, it takes two years to do this and four years to do that. Um, so relevancy and velocity match to the market, uh, I think is the biggest gap, uh, that's, that's being, uh, missed when it comes to how we do it today.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. And, and, um, your point about hr you know not even really understanding what it is that they're they're asking for but it's it's everything everyone every everything's in some circles not all circles things are moving so quickly that it is hard to keep up and you're right the and you said 3 years that's being generous to most university cur- curriculum committees uh, it, it, I, it's rare in my experience to see a curriculum review uh, that often and then the changes that are made even when they are made are are really quite quite modest your your main hope for curriculum reform is inside a class that you have an instructor that actually has some experience and then bends um, say an algorithms course or a software development course so that it's actually doing something that's 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 needed out there
2: yeah i mean i i won't mention names but i was talking to a computer science uh, professor and they've been teaching the same curriculum for eleven years and i was just I wasn't even sure how to have the dialogue about you know you might want to look at that a little differently, or is it still relevant, and how are you holding it uh, relevant? Um, you know i I purposely sometimes I don't even want to know how higher ed works uh, because i I don't want that to change the way that we're looking to solve the problem, um, you know because we want to look outside the box. you know one of the problems if you look and see how it works before, you're trying to make a ten percent improvement. Instead of just completely reinventing the way it does, the, the way it's done. So that's kind of what we've been doing. But I, I look at curriculum review at three years. I look at uh, look at tenure, and I look the way that the higher ed leadership, you know, that that cycle. And uh, sometimes I feel like they've set themselves up uh, for change resistance, and and that's going to be uh, what's going to hurt them in the long run is not being able to be more nimble and agile on on change. Um, so it, it's. You know, uh, if you look at all the things that uh, systems that enjoyed this, um, you know, where they were kind of hidden or, or, you know, protected, and I'll use Uber as an example. Uh, if you if you said ten years ago that the taxi industry was going to be transformed by software, they'd say, "No, we got this locked up, right? We got regulations, we got policies, we got medallions on the on the taxis. Uh, we've got this thing controlled, right?" And then someone just came out of nowhere. And the largest uh, taxi service in the world is uber, and they don't even own a taxi and uh, I really feel that um, education really needs to rethink about what they're doing to be relevant uh, because the world isn't going to wait on them
1: well I'll just say amen and and that's what this show is all about but it's it you know as someone who's tried to work from within it it's it is very hard and it's not and again it's in, and I think what you were in trying to be kind before you it, I don't think there are any bad actors here, but there are are these cultures. I mean, if you think about higher ed, we're talking about uh, you know te- the the uh, University of Bologna. We're talking ten eighty eight. So we're talking about a system that's about nine centuries old. So professors today are part of a of an honored and time uh, time honored tradition and culture that has that has evolved for sure. But it's facing challenges, and I agree with you. The challenges are real challenges. They show up in different um, um, in different guises, and it's not clear that that um, is really uh, keeping up. But there there are people inside trying to to shake things up. And um, another problem, another gap you mentioned has, and a lot of people have talked about this. We've had. Uh, I had a uh, former provost of Columbia come on the show and talk that uh, what we needed was more government programs so that we could afford to pay for the system. But um, um, uh, what about costs and the debt that kids are taking on to get these degrees?
2: Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I, I was looking at uh, two things. I was looking at the cost of, uh, you know, our program, trying to make sure that it had the right value. Um, but, I was also trying to understand where things have gone on, so and i 'm very passionate about entrepreneurship so I came across a uh, a graph that showed uh, the last thirty years and it showed uh, the cost of owning a home, the cost of healthcare, and the cost of higher uh, higher ed and I think home ownership during that period of time had gone up three hundred and ninety percent and i 'm sure most will remember what happened in two thousand and eight when it came to home ownership right. And then I looked at healthcare care at, at 600% increase over those 30 years. And Obamacare, no and where you fall on that, right, we saw that shoe start to drop and get addressed. But higher ed to go up 1,224% in that same time period absolutely makes no no sense to me. Uh and, and In addition to that, when I look at entrepreneurship, I came across a graph that showed entrepreneurship and the decline over 30 years. And you literally could just flip it over, and they're the same thing. The time when we want to take our youth and, and educate them and put them in the market to be entrepreneurs and say, now's your time when you're young to take, you know, to start those new companies and to, uh, take those risks. We're putting a backpack on them, slapping, uh, $80,000 of, of stones in the back and saying, now go fly. Um, and, and that's why you're, what, that's why you're seeing it. And that's why you're seeing this explosion of, of co-working spaces. Um, you, you're seeing students come out, uh, And they can't take any risk, right? They got to pay back that student loan. In Indiana, the average is twenty-eight thousand. I had four interns over the summer; no one had anything less than seventy thousand in debt. Um, I mean, they're they're coming out uh, with these huge uh, load on them. And what do they do? They're going to play it safe, and they're going to go try to find some uh, big company to go work for, uh, you know, or or find a co-working space. What I I don't know know much about co-working spaces, but to me. Uh, they have to because they can't afford to start their own company. So they go work in a, in a group of entrepreneurs that, that are sharing the load. I like to call it the extension of the dorm experience. But that's really what's what's happening is that we're just strapping them down when they we should be letting them fly. And it really is this this debt piece. Um, we we took our program and tried to say, okay, well, if our uh, 12-week program is 13.5, and we can get someone out in the market earning this much money, how is that different over four years compared to someone who may go down the higher ed route? And it's about a quarter million dollar difference, right, um, you know, between on what they would make during those four years versus what they would have spent on the higher ed side for those other four years. So while not, ev- not for everyone, um, it's a significant uh, value prop when it comes to where you're going to put your money and what expectations that you want for that money to deliver to you from an outcome standpoint. Um,
1: no, this yeah, is really in, this is really interesting, and and I, I'd like to follow up. I we need to take a uh, another break, but uh, after we come back from the break, I'd like to, you know, you see, you've called out a number of these gaps, and they're they're pretty gaping and big, and like to and you just we're starting to talk about the ways in which the experience you're trying to shape at 1150 is trying to aim to close that gap, and 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 I think you've got some um, you're you're doing it in in. In fact, with the, the experience, but I think you also have some interesting ideas of, of how to do this in, in larger ways in the world. And I'd like to explore those with you in the next segment if we could. Sounds great. All right. This is Big Beacon Radio. Our special guest is John Qualls of 1150.org. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about how to address some of these uh, gaps with these different kinds of models and hybrids of, ex- of traditional and non traditional educational institutions
0: from the boardroom to you voice america business network do you want greater success in bringing change to your university college department or classroom are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change would you like to boost your own academic business or technical career Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today.
1: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio
0: Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show.
1: And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Our final segment is sponsored by the learning action teams of Big Beacon in the Educational Innovators Working Group and the Innovators Across across boundaries Um, join with us this fall and help develop leaders change help uh, accelerate change and and uh, bring about a new set of shift skills don't call them soft skills needed for effective transformation and change watch bigbeacon.org for details or write to me deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more and so we're rejoined in this final segment by john qualls of 1150.org nonprofit coding academy uh, based in indiana and and um John we were we were talking about the some of these gaps in education and about um, well, between between education and work between uh, uh, the uh, s- students and their aspirations and and the funding of their education all these gaps in in what ways um, in what ways um, are, are the experiences that you're sh- trying to shape at 1150.org trying to address the gaps that you've found? Yeah,
2: So if you think about the gaps we've talked about, right, so ve- uh, uh, relevancy being one, uh, velocity being another, uh, financial structure, right, kind of that rewards uh, part of it. And so we really took a step back and said there's really four four groups here that have to have a kind of a carrot-and-stick type of relationship there. Uh, uh, there's got to be the, in, the individual, right? We think that the person with the potential. And then there's the provider, right, the educator, right, who needs to be able to bring that relevancy to, to play at the velocity of the market, which is uh, the third party, which is the employers. And then the, really the fourth party is that public, right, either, either uh, government funding or, or, or private uh, dollars, right, but it's that public interest piece. And so we really took a step out and said, how can we create a, uh, a solution that and that has all the rewards in place, but also the accountability uh, across all those four parties as they put their dollars uh, in there uh, so that's kind of how how we're doing it and you know one of the reasons a lot of people ask us is why are we a nonprofit? and uh as we were looking at uh, accreditation and and all the things and, and what outcomes that we wanted, um we felt like. You know, accreditation, they always talk about quality, but it just seems to be more like a gateway drug dollars to me, uh, you know, just kind of looking at it from the outside. Uh, but we do recognize that there needs to be a level of governance and transparency, and we felt that, that being nonprofit was going to give us uh, a framework of that governance and transparency to, our, to all those parties about what we're doing and what those outcomes uh, look like. Um, so that's kind of why we chose to go down that. And then as we go across those, you know, we, we, there's a thing we say, I think Mark Twain said, if I had more time, it would be, it would have been a shorter letter. Uh, We're still trying to, to take this program, uh, philosophy or principle down, but it is, how can we provide the most relevant, efficient instruction possible that actualizes the individual in the market with little or no debt while de risking the decision and financial uh, acquisition cost to the employer, right? That's and that's a long statement, but that's what we're doing uh, when we put together our program. Is we're trying to serve each one of those and make sure that it makes uh, makes sense and that the outcome is it just, you got to be accountable to the outcome, or you just wasted everyone's time and money.
1: Yeah, and let's. Uh, I want to take a little bit of a, a. You mentioned the importance of the nonprofit for governance. We've seen um, the outgoing administration. Uh, in almost wage war on for profits, and and in some cases there there were there were excesses. And in some cases, there were for profits that were were being as innovative and creative as the kinds of things that you're talking about. So it um, what what's the um, yeah? I guess I'm uh, so is 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 the. And of course, and I guess on the flip side of that is uh, almost all of traditional higher ed is not either nonprofit or public, and yet it's fairly slothful and is unable to keep up and unable to do things that are that are particularly creative or keep up with the velocity and the relevance, as you call it. Um, so it's 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 not the nonprofit piece itself that's the relevant variable here. So what? Uh what what's really going on? What what's what's really important about about the governance? Um, is the, it, you you called out uh, transparency. Is is that it, or I mean, if if somebody were a for profit and more transparent, would that work? Or there are for profits that are actually doing a pretty good job. What what are they doing different than those that have been called on the carpet?
2: Yeah, I think that there are some for profits doing great uh, great stuff out there, and there's some bad apples out there. Uh, I personally believe uh, uh, that kind of the entry level to get into some of this is, is so low uh, that you're going to have some folks uh, that are going to get uh, get involved who maybe should uh, shouldn't be ready for that. Um, we kind of just felt that the uh, the nonprofit side um, you also got to think of what, where the funding is that we're we're getting that funding from, yes. and by being nonprofit that r- requires uh, one some transparency about our finances and what we're doing with their money. Uh, So that accountability comes to the table. Um, But also we wanted to run a nonprofit like a for-profit in in that mentality of of outcome-based. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, they they write a check and they get a feel-good for that one year. Um, But then how can they, how can we think outside the box and say, no, let's write a check and make that check serve every year, right? And really leverage that. Um, And we just, uh, there's been so many doors open to us because we were a nonprofit. I yes. think as a for-profit, we never would have gotten past the first part of the dialogue to even explore it. Uh, so that it's just kind of the right model uh, for us. Uh, I think there's a lot of for-profits out there doing just some tremendous innovation. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this administration, if they're going to continue, uh, I think as the past administration being very aggressive to the for-profits uh, or not. Um, you know we think uh you know innovation is is most important and whatever method it works for that community or that organization should be you know fostered um but really that that governance and transparency we think is um always always going to be important and because we we chose not to seek accreditation um you know where we get our funding it really is from our tuition and from the employers and that public interest so the, the level of accountability is very uh, very high, when it comes to results.
1: Yeah, well, and 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 you're accredited in a sense. You're you're accredited by your em, employer partners. Really, they they know that you can do the job, and and they're certifying that you can get the job done. They, your partners are important to you, isn't that right?
2: Yeah, we actually we actually brought them together as advisory board and then advisory committees, and the committees are the ones who review the curriculum every two months. It's from the employers. And we created a framework of a badging system that's, that's defined, right? You know, kind of certification piece. And actually the, the, state of Indiana has now accepted that, um, as, as something. But most important is, do the employers recognize it, understand it, and accept it as something as valuable to them in the market? And by having them involved, that's how we were able to get there. Um, because there really wasn't anything that we could find in the market, uh, that certified, uh, you know, this, this type of uh, career path, and so we could either wait for someone to do it or do it ourselves and and that's kind of what we did is, is is brought that to the table
1: nice and 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 so you know there are benefits of this model there's some um and and actually as I'm listening to you and uh, the the model so it's not a traditional nonprofit traditional nonprofits are as broken as universities are I mean traditional nonprofits kind of sit around and wait for that big check and it's all about. It's about the continuing donations to run the art museum or or, or whatever you know, the hospital, whatever it is, and 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 those models are having the same kind of trouble that higher that higher education has. They haven't kept up with the velocity of change, as as you call it. And and so traditional nonprofits are uh, troublesome. They don't have the entrepreneurship of and the mindset that you have. So you're you're using a nonprofit governance with an entrepreneurial mindset, which is different. Than what most nonprofits are doing, and 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 I think that that's actually part of the part of your secret sauce. But but also, what are you know what are some of the, um, and and we've just got a few minutes left. But what are some some of the big obstacles to um, uh, you're making progress? And
2: yeah, yeah, you you've hit on them. The two of them, right? Funding and talent. Right? Mm-hmm. We have a talent uh, problem. Yeah. On the funding side, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure folks will argue uh, with me on this, right? but you know i was in uh, up in uh in minnesota and they were talking about uh, the higher ed 70, 70 uh, percent of their operating costs was covered by the taxpayer yeah. i can't tell you what i would be able to do if 70 to 80% of my operating costs was covered by the taxpayer how much more we could do yeah. um and you and you're exactly right right the the nonprofit uh side right we've been kind of teaching them how to how to invest in what we're doing right against those outcomes that that go on than other than just that one year or that one grant. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing I've noticed is that we lead in with asking for a grant to lead us to sustainability. Uh, where traditionally it's asking for the outcome, and sustainability is like that third month before the end of the grant. It starts mm-hmm. becoming really important again. Uh, so you're right, and I think the other one is is talent, and uh, and the same thing. Either the market's missing talent. How do I get the right talent, very you know, passionate, uh, talented individuals on my team, uh, and pay them because I, I can't pay them what they can make a, in the market. I mean, they got to believe in what we're doing and be able to make a change and 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 be part of that because uh, I can't pay them near what they're worth uh, in the market. I don't think there's anyone. I'm paying them sixty to seventy percent of market rate uh, to get them involved in it, and that's uh, that's one of the obstacles is working through and finding those people who believe in what we believe and and giving them an opportunity to bring their talent, uh, for a tenure of time. Uh, so those are the two things, right? That funding and and my own, uh, talent right on the team are the two obstacles, the biggest obstacles we have.
1: Well, I wish we had more time. This is fascinating, John. And, and, uh, I I, I love what you're doing and wish, uh, wish you and the team at 1150, all the best in, in closing. Um, um, how can people get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, so uh, 1150.org, and that's spelled out, E-L-E-V-E-N-F-I-F-T-Y.org. And in my uh, email address is a letter J-Q-U-A-L-L-S at 1150.org. That's J-Q-U-A-L-L-S at 1150.org.
0: Thanks for coming on.
2: who might want to bring us to their community. I so.
1: appreciate you coming on the show, John. Thanks for coming, and uh, best wishes as uh, you take 1150 into the future.
2: Thank you so much
1: transforming higher education. Special thanks to our guest, John Qualls at 1150.org. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel in our quest to transform higher education.
0: Thank you for tuning into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel.